Jesus might be calling us to reach out to people that I have no intention of reaching out to because they're different. I mean, like, really different. Those things happen. God loves the world. John 3.16 tells us that God loved the world so much, he sent his only son to die on the cross, to suffer for our sins, to conquer death once and for all, so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And you and I can say that, yeah, that's John 3.16, paraphrased, you bet. I believe that. That's the way God is. I want you to tell people, oh, not me, Jesus. Send somebody else. I wonder if there's a place in the Bible where God ever wanted somebody to go, and they said, no, I'm not going. I wonder if there's a story about a person like that. If you've ever wondered that about somebody who said, I'm uncomfortable doing what God wants me to do, well, welcome to the story of Jonah. You may have heard of Jonah and the whale. Wasn't he the guy who was swallowed by the big fish? Yeah, he was. The story behind the story, though, isn't the big fish. It's about the work that God was doing in the heart of Jonah. And today and next Sunday, we're going to have a little mini-series here. And so we've entitled this series, Lessons from a Reluctant Evangelist. Inside your bulletin, you will find an outline where I'm headed today. We're going to, there are four chapters in Jonah. We're going to look at the first two. And we're going to talk about some principles under the heading entitled, We Can't Run from God. Jonah was not only uncomfortable with where God wanted him to go, he said, heck no, Lord, I ain't going, and I'm going the other way. And you and I can learn lessons from his life, and we'll find out what God did about that. And it's a stirring and moving story. I want to tell you about it in just a second, but I'd like to pray first and ask God to bless our time together. Will you join me, please? Heavenly Father, I thank you for that video. It just reminds us that, um, Lord, you didn't call us to be comfortable. Lord, you didn't save us so we could entertain ourselves. Lord, you saved us so we can spend eternity with you. And the years that remain here in this world, you're allowing us to participate in your plan to reach out to others. And God, I pray that today you will challenge us toward that end, to understand your mission and your great love for a lost and hurting world. I pray that you'll speak to us through the pages that record the life story of Jonah. And Father, I ask that you would speak, move us out of the way, move me out of the way, Lord. In the name of Christ, amen. Um, the ushers, if you raise your hand, the ushers will be coming up and down the aisles. They have pens that will be glad to give to you if you didn't grab one to fill in the blanks. Take some notes as we go along because this is some important material. Uh, Jonah lived about 750, 800 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Jonah was a prophet. In Old Testament times, the Holy Spirit was not poured out on all of God's people, but only on a select few, upon the leaders and upon men and women, prophets and prophetesses who would issue God's statements on his behalf. At times, he would give them a message through a dream or through a vision, or maybe even speaking out loud to them. And one day, God spoke to his man, Jonah, and gave him a message to proclaim to some people who lived in a city called Nineveh. And this is point one on your outline. God commanded Jonah to take his message to people in the east, but Jonah went west. This is the story of a guy where God says, I want you to do something. He goes, ain't doing it. He goes the other way. Here's how it came about. Jonah 1, verse 1. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it, because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket, went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. Jonah lived in northern Israel, not far from the Sea of Galilee. God said, I want you to go 550 miles away uh, to the east. 
to the capital of the Assyrian capital, to Nineveh. And Jonah said, ain't doing it, went to the coast on the west and started sailing the opposite direction. I'm not going there. And the reason why is the note in your outline, because the people of Nineveh were wicked. They were very wicked. Another Old Testament prophet by the name of Nahum described the city of Nineveh this way, woe to the city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims, alluring the mistress of sorceries who enslaved nations by her prostitution and peoples by her witchcraft. Nineveh was a wicked place. The Assyrians were wicked people. Their policy of state, if you will, was terror. There's been a lot of archaeology done in this part of the world where Nineveh was, and there are monuments that were dedicated to a couple of the Assyrian kings. Inscribed in those monuments and found in pieces of uh, pottery and of parchment, we find writings of attributes, things that are attributed to these kings. And they bragged about how wicked and cruel they could be and how tough they could be on their opponents. A couple of the kings bragged that when they took over a city, they would take the leaders of the city or of the kingdom, they would find their leaders and their best and brightest, and they would skin them alive, and they would attach the human skins to the walls of the city they conquered so that everyone would know. They'd pile up skulls in a heap right next to the city gate with a sign next to it and said, the Assyrians have conquered. When the Assyrians come, you bow down in fear because we will destroy you. We have no mercy. They would plant a flag or a banner over the city gate and it was painted and soaked in human blood. We want you to know that we are ruthless and we will conquer you. And it's very possible that Jonah in his lifetime had experienced raiders who had come for the Assyrian army that had conquered maybe his village, maybe killed some of his friends, maybe even some of his family. These were murderers, thugs, brutes, Killers, assassins, terrorists, put whatever title you want on it. And when God told him to go to Nineveh and tell them judgment was coming, Jonah was afraid the people might repent if they knew that judgment was coming. He didn't want to risk it, and so he said, I'm going the other way. These people are wicked. Jonah forgot, this is the life application you outlined, Jonah forgot that he was to be God's man and speak from God's heart. He forgot that God wants wicked people to repent. Repent. This is a word that has fallen out of fashion in our day. Repentance, we have replaced it with tolerance. That, hey, just accept whatever anybody does or says. Just whatever goes, goes. Hey, it's right for you, but it's not right for anybody else. And God says, no, I've given you my word and I've shown you how to live. And if you live contrary to that, that's sin. Going your own selfish way, not caring about others, being brutal and violent and murderous. Wicked, as the city of Nineveh was, people needed to repent. And God wanted them to do so they would, so they would turn around and come back to him. The prophet Ezekiel expresses God's heart this way. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. If you're here for the first time at a worship service with us at Centerpoint, you're going to hear us talk about repentance and turning many times because that's what it means to repent. If in the margin, I'd love for you to draw a little arrow, a U-turn arrow. We start and draw the arrow going the other way, doing a 180. That's what it means to repent, to turn around, go the opposite direction. 
God's calling us to that all the time. You don't have to keep living a hard life. If you have a secret addiction, get help. Confess it. Turn around. Stop going there. If you've been harboring a grudge against someone and the bitterness has weighed you down and you can't even enjoy life today because of all the bitterness and anger you bring from yesterday or from 10 years ago, give it up. Turn around. You don't have to keep going this way anymore. Jesus died on the cross to forgive all our sins and to free us from guilt and shame. You can be free. But you got to let go. Stop going your own way. Let's go God's way. When Jesus was once asked as he walked the face of the earth, Jesus is the son of God. He's God in the flesh. And he was often known to keep company with people who were notorious sinners And religious people of his day asked him, and they said, why do you hang around with such scum? And here was Jesus' answer. Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they're righteous, but those who know they're sinners and need to repent. If you are here this morning and you've been running from God, let me encourage you to turn around and run to Jesus. Let me encourage you to let go of your sin. Come back to him today. He'll welcome you with open arms. He'll give you the strength to do what's right. He'll give you a desire to live as you should, and he'll cleanse you from guilt and shame. Repent. Come to him. This is God's heart for you. It's God's heart for me. It's why Jesus died on the cross, to set us free. If that's good news to you this morning, would you say amen? Amen. Man, this is good news, and it's what he wants the whole world to know, and Jonah forgot about that. In fact, that's the note on your outline. God wanted people to repent, the wicked people to repent. Jonah wanted the people of Nineveh to die. In fact, I'm going to, next week we'll finish the story and you'll hear a lot more on this, but I want to give you one little glimpse of what was going on in Jonah's mind. After he ran away, he eventually did get to Nineveh. He did proclaim the message of judgment to come and there was a great revival. There was a great repentance. And Jonah was angry about it. In fact, here's what he told the Lord. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That's why I ran to Tarshish. I knew you were a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You're eager to turn your back from destroying people. I knew it. I go and tell those people that judgment's coming, they're going to repent. Doggone it, Lord. It's just like you. You're going to go forgive them. And if you ask Jonah, but Jonah, if they don't repent, they're going to go to hell. He'd go, good, I hope they go to hell. I hope they burn. These are wicked, horrible people, and I hope God destroys them forever. And all he did was say out loud what many times we might think and don't have the, dare, don't have the guts to say. Because there are some people we hate too. And if God called us to go minister to them or go proclaim the good news of Jesus to them, if we're honest, we'd be reluctant and fearful and loath to go. The story told of Corey Ten Boom. If you want to, if you have never heard of her, she was an amazing woman. Um, she was Dutch. She lived uh, during the time of the Nazi occupation in the Netherlands, in Amsterdam. And if you want a good book to read, it's entitled "I'm Still Learning to Forgive" by Corey Ten Boom. In that book, she recounts how. She and her sister and her father were devout Christians during World War II. And when the Nazis came to occupy the Netherlands, they started harassing and terrorizing the Jews, taking away their property, loading them on rail cars, and sending them off to concentration camps to die. And they realized as God-fearing Christians, they could not allow this to go on. They had to do something about it. So they created a hiding place. In fact, there's a book, a bestseller, entitled The Hiding Place. It was made into a movie called The Hiding Place. 
where they created a secret room in their house and they would smuggle. They ran sort of an underground railroad. They were part of that where they would bring Jewish people in there and hide them and figure out a way to smuggle them out of the country. Well, this went on for a while until the Nazis figured out what they were doing and then the Nazis arrested them. And they sent Corey and her sister and her father to concentration camps. And she tells the horror of the concentration camps where she and her sister had their hair shaved off and were stripped naked in front of these prison guards. Sent off and made to wear sackcloth and live in filthy, horrible conditions with hardly any food. Many people got sick and died. Corey's sister died. Her father died. She survived. And the prison guards would beat them and mistreat them and you can only imagine how horrible it was. And after the war was over and she had survived, she was often asked to speak in churches and at Christian gatherings uh, to give her testimony of what God had done in her life and why she and her family had risked her lives and her dad and her sister had actually lost their lives um, looking after the Jewish refugees. And she always proclaimed the good of, good of, goodness of God and the grace of God and she always proclaimed the gospel message that God came into this world to rescue lost sinners. Then she said in 1947, after the war was over, she was speaking at a meeting and a man came forward and she recognized him at once as he came forward at the end of the meeting. He was one of the prison guards at the camp where she had been suffer, where she and her sister had suffered and her sister had actually died. She had seen him laugh and brutally mistreat people he came forward at the end of the meeting and he had repented and become a Christian. And he stuck out his hand and he said, I have been a horrible sinner. You proclaim that God forgives sinners. And I have been the worst of them all. I know that Jesus has forgiven me. I need to know that you forgive me too. And she stood there in horror. And I mean, if you read the account, it'll just send chills down your back. She said her blood turned cold and she said, Lord, I, I don't know what to do here. She said, I believe that you forgive all sinners, but how can I forgive this man? I hate him. With all my heart, I hate him. And she realized that she couldn't. If God was willing to give, then she had to also. And she said, Lord, I will raise my hand, and if you give me the strength, then you move it forward to take his, because I can't do it. And she said it was like a jolt of electricity that shot down her arm and moved it forward, and she embraced the man, and the man hugged her, and she said, God forgives you, and so do I. She said that was a, one of the most amazing moments in her whole life. Now, can you imagine this? And before we dare judge Jonah, wow, how could you be so hard-hearted? Are you going to judge Corey? And what about you and me? And what if God called us to go and present the gospel to the leaders of Al-Qaeda, some of the very people who planned the 9-11 attacks, and we're glad they did it? Would you go? What if God asked you to proclaim God's love and his forgiveness not to the victim of a gang beating, but to the leader of the gang that beat the victim? Would you go? And we don't even have to go that radical. Would you and I be willing to show love to someone who took our promotion at a job when we deserved it and they schemed and took it away from us? Would you and I be willing to love them and proclaim God's grace to them? What about to a family member who spread gossip about you that's not true? Or would we be like Jonah and go, 
I don't care, Lord. I hate them. I don't want them to repent. As I told you, this book is disturbing. Because it hits close to home. Well, Jonah ran. Jonah, I want you to go to the people of Nineveh. I'm not going, Lord. I know you. And if they even turn at all, you'll forgive them. I don't want them forgiven. I'm getting on the boat. If you go to point two, you'll see that God didn't let Jonah get very far. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help, and they threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep in the hold, and so the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this, he shouted. Get up and pray to your God. You can underline that, how can you sleep at a time like this? When you and I turn our backs on God and turn away from what God wants us to do, it's amazing how callous our consciences can become. It's amazing how hard-hearted we can become. Amazing. He was sleeping like a baby, and everybody else was terrified. Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he'll pay attention to us and spare our lives. Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused this terrible storm. And when they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Why has this awful storm come down on us? They demanded, who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What's your nationality? And Jonah answered, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. And the sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. Oh, why did you do it, they groaned. Now look, you can put a star in the margin next to that too. Don't think for a minute that when you and I run away from the Lord that the consequences of our decisions aren't going to impact others. Don't think for a minute when you're keeping the addiction and you think it's secret that it's not impacting your family. Don't think for a minute that when you harbor a grudge and you become bitter and hard that other people won't notice your heart getting cold. Don't think for a minute that you're running from God and getting away with it and it's not impacting anyone else. Our sin always has consequences. And Jonah's sin brought great terror to the sailors with him. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, the sailors asked him, well, what should we do to stop the storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said. It'll become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Instead, the sailors rowed even harder to get the ship to land, but the stormy sea was too violent for them and they couldn't make it. And then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. O Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin and don't hold us responsible for his death. O Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. It continues a little bit more if you flip your outline over. And then the sailors picked Jonah up and they threw him into the raging sea and the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power and they offered him a sacrifice and they vowed to serve him. There's a life application in this part of the story for you and me. And that's this, we can never, and you can put this in all caps, never run away from God. David commented about the foolishness of this idea of running from God in Psalm 139. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I run from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light will become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. 
The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Where are you going to run from God? Hey, if I get up on the wings of the dawn, maybe I can get up before God does. Yeah, see how that works. He never sleeps. Well, maybe if I go at midnight, God created light and dark. Darkness is the same as light to him. And so for Jonah to think he could run from the Lord, it's impossible. And Jonah found out the hard way because God brought him back. And you hear about that in a second. But I want to make one more note before we move on to this. And that's this, that the pagan sailors did what Jonah had been unwilling to do. I hope you noticed this. When the sailors recognized God's power, they prayed to God and they vowed to serve him. (laughs) Jonah had been given a direct word from the Lord, go to Nineveh, and he said nothing doing and refused to serve him. The pagan sailors who'd been rolling dice to see who's causing this problem, as soon as they realized this was the real God who created heaven and earth, they said, now we know who you are. We will pray to you. They prayed to him and said, we will serve you. We make vows to you. And it should trouble us a lot. I mean, Jonah was the equivalent. I mean, he was a Hebrew equivalent of somebody who'd grown up going to Sunday school. Now, how is it these pagans who'd never done any such thing and didn't even know who the Lord was, when they recognized the Lord... Man, they are quick to surrender their lives to him. It should trouble us deeply that pagans would be more caring about Jonah than he was about them. They were trying to rescue him and not throw him in the sea. They were trying to row back to land. He was sleeping in the hole, didn't care what was going to happen to them. The pagans were more sensitive to what God was doing than what Jonah was doing too. This should trouble us. It should trouble us deeply when people who never even attend a church don't have a clue what we do here on Sunday morning, never read their Bible, and yet they're kinder to their neighbors than we are. That should bother us deeply. It should trouble us a lot that when people finally come to the Lord and they go, why didn't you tell me about this 10 years ago? Well, I never got around to it. Come on now. Man, when they get a chance to tell people about Jesus, they tell everybody. Mm-mm. That brings us to point three on our outline. After Jonah was chunked overboard, if you will, he had time to rethink his priorities inside the belly of a great fish. Now the Lord had arranged, this is from Jonah 2, the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. And then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish. He said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I sank down to the heart of the sea, and the mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried in the jaws of death. As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord. And my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Those who worship false gods turn their backs on all of God's mercies. But I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise, and I will fulfill all my vows. There it is. I'm going to fulfill my vows. For my salvation comes from the Lord alone. Inside the fish, Jonah repented. There's a life application for you and me. Confession is good for the soul. It may well be if we are stubborn and hard of heart 
and judgmental and uncaring like Jonah was, then God has to bring us to a dark place, a scary place, where the consequences of all our stubbornness and all of our selfish self-righteousness is all coming to bear fruit at the same time, and it's scary and it's dark. And all of a sudden we go, God, what am I doing? What have I been doing? In the belly of the fish, Jonah came to his senses. And he confessed his sin and said, I I shouldn't have done this. God, I'll fulfill my vow. David wrote a marvelous psalm about the importance of repentance. And we realize when we've been going the wrong way how important it is to do the U-turn. Here's what he said. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away. I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you, and I stopped trying to hide my guilt. And I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord. And you forgave me, and now all my guilt is gone. Therefore, let all the godly pray to you while there's still time, that they may not drown in the floodwaters of judgment. And if you're here this morning, and you've been running from the Lord, you've been rebelling against the Lord, the Lord wants you to turn around and come back to Him, there's freedom in confession. But you understand this, before Jonah could carry a message that would allow the people of Nineveh to repent, Jonah needed to repent. Before God can use me to be a witness to my neighbors or you to be a witness to our friends at school or our family, we have to repent. How can I teach you about surrendering to God if I'm not surrendered? How can I give you something I don't have? And how was Jonah going to go over to these people and present anything from the Lord when his heart was filled with bitterness and hatred and he didn't even care? Well, he wasn't. And so what's so amazing about this story is not that the fish carried him back to the beach. What's amazing about the story is that God didn't give up on this guy. And that's the next point in your outline. Amazingly, God gave Jonah a second chance. I mean, I think I'd have sent somebody else. Gabriel, get somebody else. This guy's a loser. God doesn't think that way. He didn't give up on Jonah, and he's not going to give up on you. He's not. And the sooner you and I get it through our thick heads that God wants us to love him and serve him, he wants us to be witnesses for him and start cooperating with him, the sooner we can get along with this and we can get on with what God has planned for us. Then the Lord ordered the fish. Here's where we'll we'll get through the last part of chapter 2 here. Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. I would have loved to have seen that. That would be a fun YouTube video right there. Uh, And then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I've given you. This time Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh. I'll bet he did. I'll just bet he did. Now what about you and me? I talk to people all the time. They go, yeah, I should have shared my faith with a coworker, and I missed it. I blew it. Didn't have courage. Didn't know what to say. You know, God just can't use people like me. Well, sure he can. Yeah, but I blew it. Yeah, but I'm one of those people. I've been hiding stuff, and now I confess to the Lord. It's like he can't use people like me. He can use people like Jonah. In fact, God prefers to you prefers to use people like you and me. That's the life application here. God will give flawed people like us 
multiple opportunities to tell others about him. He will. God enjoys doing that. Because when people see you or me sharing our faith in Christ with them, they'll go, you mean God forgave you? Oh, man, there's probably hope for me, too. God can use a yokel like you, John? Yep. Well, then he can use me. I mean, God uses ordinary people so that other ordinary people understand how great his grace is. Paul wrote about this in 1 Corinthians 1. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. He chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. God loves to use ordinary people to get his message across. Flawed, ordinary people. The only thing was he had to get Jonah to repent before the people of Nineveh could repent. He's got to get you and me to repent before our neighbor or our cousin or our best friend will repent. But when we come and get right with Jesus, people see it. They get it. And they glorify God and they want to come to him. I want you to hear a story about that. Two people involved in the life of this church and how God used one of them to teach the other about salvation through Jesus. Would you watch the screens, please? Hi, my name is Joni Evans, and when I was 30 years old, my mother died of breast cancer. Though I didn't have a relationship with God, I became very bitter and angry at God. My life started spinning out of control. I turned to relationships to try to fill the void that I had. I was constantly looking for something that was going to make me happy. I thought it would be a person. I had been married several times and had two children. I found myself separated from my fourth husband and living alone and raising two kids by myself. During this time, anything that Jesus was for, Joni was against. I was out of control. I would go out and party and one particular Saturday night I went out partying and the next morning got up and there were lots of dishes piled in my sink so I decided to wash the dishes and I dropped a coffee pot and broke it. Well everybody that knows Joni knows that she cannot go without coffee in the mornings. So I knew I was about to have to do the dreaded deed of going to Walmart. So I got my clothes on went to Walmart, didn't look at anybody, I didn't want to make eye contact with anybody, grabbed my coffee pot and headed towards the checkout line. I looked up and there was a friend of mine that I'd known for 20 years named Danny Cox. Here he comes over to me. Um, the first thing I noticed about Danny was he looked totally different. I didn't know what had changed about him, but something, because that wasn't the Danny Cox that I was used to seeing. And he comes up hugs me and says, hey Joni, how are you? Haven't seen you. And I looked at him and said, Danny, what is different about you? You look great. What is going on with you? And he said, well, I invited Jesus Christ into my life, Joni, and he has changed me. I'm not, I'm not that person anymore that you knew. I'm somebody new now. And I'd love to tell you about it. Do you have about 20 minutes? 
I remember seeing Joni in Walmart that day and um, I remember going up to her and speaking to her and asking her how the family was and how everything was going and she looked at me. She looked at me and said, what's different about you? And, and it's the first time, I knew in my heart there was something different about me, but um, it was the first time that anybody from the outside had ever said anything like that. And, and at that time, God really prompted me to, to share what he was doing in my life with, with Joni. And um, I asked Joni, after we talked for about 20 minutes, I asked her to, if she would come to Center Point Church with me. That's where me and my wife had started attending, and she said she would, would love to. When he invited me to church, I said, yes, I want some of whatever you found. I, I want that to be part of me. So I started going to church with he and Susan. And I went for several weeks. And then one day, I got on my knees in the, in the floor of my home and asked Jesus to come into my life and change me because I wanted to be renewed and restored and had that empty hole filled and I became more involved at church. I started by volunteering with greeting and then I joined the nursery and then I got involved with the connect group and just doing different things with the church. I just enjoy being a part of the church family. Um, my, I reconciled with my husband. He started coming to church with me and that's something we do together as a family and everything is just so much better now that that void in my life has been filled and I realized it wasn't a person on earth that was filling that void it was God. God filled that void for me and it's made big changes in my life. That day in Walmart was the first time I'd ever shared my faith with anybody and that day changed my life because I saw how important it was and it really did matter that I get that I share my faith with people and the proof of that is Joni's life has changed and she has she has really started growing and it, when I see that it just reminds me every day how important it is to share my faith. If I hadn't ran into Danny Cox that day, I don't know what would have happened to my life. I'm sure I would be divorced and still out there searching for something to fill that hole that was in my heart. Yeah, you can applaud that. Sure. Inside your bulletin, let me uh, draw your attention to one final thing. There's a little card, uh, hopefully if it didn't fall out, um, there's a little card in there. There's some more at the information desk if it fell out, but the idea is to fold it in half so it'd be the size of a business card, and I just want to walk you through it. Um, fold it in half, on one side of it, it says, my outreach strategy. And the first two lines, first two little lines under that phrase, my outreach strategy, are the last two blanks in your bulletin. If I'm going to be somebody whom God can use, then I need to become aware and commit to prayer. I want to be more sensitive to God's working in my life than some sailors who've never heard about him before. I mean, I want to say, God, would you show me if there are people in my life that I'm walking right by? Would you show me if there are people that I'm just being hard-hearted toward? Show me. I want to pray for them, and I want to pray for opportunities to tell them about your great love. And God, show me if there's something in my life that needs to go first. I don't want to export my diseases. I want to give them new life. And then, if you'd open up the card, you'll see inside my Fran plan. These are the people, when God brings them to mind, you write it down. So if you're standing in a checkout line or waiting for some work to be done on your car, you can open it up and just pray through them. Two friends, two relatives, two acquaintances, two neighbors. 
If you don't know their names, that's okay. You can just write in the guy who drives that big orange four-wheel drive who drives up and down the street late at night. He's obnoxious, Lord. I'm going to start praying for him. I'm going to pray for my cousin. I'm going to pray for that person on the school board. This person that has been so mean to me. You can write their name in here and start praying for an opportunity. Ask God to show you if you have an opportunity to share, to do exactly what Danny did. And that brings us to the last panel here, my testimony. Well, what would you say? Well, you can be thinking in advance of what you'd say. Here's what Danny talked about. What was he like before he met Jesus? How did he meet Jesus? And how has his life changed since he met Jesus? And that's what people want to know. And if you and I, this is designed to keep in your wallet or to keep in your purse, just when you have time to pull it out and say, Lord, I'm going to pray for these people. I mean, what if we all did that? What if instead of running from opportunities, we prayed for opportunities? And what if we realized, hey, I don't just confess my sins so God will forgive me so that I don't have guilt anymore, but I'm confessing my sins not only so I'm free of guilt and shame, but now I'm also free to be a channel through which God can express his love. What if I realized that life wasn't just about me all the time? What if I actually cared for somebody else? I think God would be very pleased. I hope you'll be here next week for the second half of Jonah. The story gets even better. And these are lessons that you and I need to learn. It's a troubling story, but hopefully it troubles us to get right with the Lord. Would you pray with me, please? God, I just thank you for the opportunity to be here today with these folks. And Lord, the story of Jonah troubles me a lot. Because Lord, he just said out loud what I've thought in my heart sometimes without saying it. Father, some people I don't like. The truth is, Lord, I guess I'd want you not to like him either. And Lord, I want Jesus to die on the cross for my sins, but I'm not so sure I want him to die for everybody else's. And God, I'm sorry that my heart's so hard. I pray, Lord, that today you spoke to each one of us. In just a moment of silence, if the Lord spoke to you, if you've been running from him about an important decision, if you're hiding an addiction, you're holding a grudge, You're compromising in some area of your life and you know it. Repent. Come to the Lord right now and say, God, forgive me. I know what I've been doing and you know what I've been doing. It's time for me to turn around, Lord. Forgive me. I'm a sinner. I'm going the wrong way. And God, I want to do what's right. Please forgive me. Give me the courage to turn around and give me the strength to do what's right. Do it now, Lord. If you want to be used by God this week, then pray along with me. Oh, Lord, just make me aware of people, maybe people I've never noticed before. Lord, remind me to pray for my coworkers and my family. And, Lord, if I get the opportunity, please give me the chance to tell people what you've done in my life. Forgive me for being so terribly self-centered all the time, Lord. Help me to think of others. Pray these things in the name of Jesus one who came and died on the cross for all of our sins. In the name of this Jesus, we pray together. Amen.